Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startups to enterprise, everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, productmanagers.com. It's the web's largest single free resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must-read, listen-to-follow list, as recommended by our incredible guests, week over week. It's season one. We're here in sunny Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome, and thanks for listening. There's something going around, and if you live next to a business park or incubator, you're especially at risk. It's called entrepreneurial disease, and today it affects many professionals working in sales, marketing, technology, and design. You see people building products, and you want to start building your own. Today's guest is just like you and me. He has the disease too, and he's here to tell us how he got it. Please welcome to our show, Motea Alwan. I wanted to get started by talking about your path to product management. You know, one of the things that I find consistently having these conversations with people is there's rarely a straight path taken to this job, you know? What what does your career story look like? Take us kind of back in time and help us understand how you, where you started and how you got here. So it all started when I started um, studying software engineering in, in college in Jordan. And um, I liked many of the coding courses but not all of them so I tried to finish as early as possible because I was so excited about going and work so I finished in three years instead of, of four and then started working with a, an online business company and they used to make content so I managed to to get a job there and start writing for the web and that was great because I learned how, how different that is from writing to, to magazines and newspapers because I've done that before during my college and I learned search engine optimization and social media and all of that and how to focus on writing and finding out what users want to read more than what I like to write about. And that, is, that, was, like, that was maybe the moment that I realized how online business is different than any other business because it's so... Uh, direct with the user and you can actually know what the user wants and know about the user even more than they know about themselves and that's why many people now they ask me if you have a strategy in building your product and you want and someone else asks you to, to add a feature or add a change or, or to support different programming language do you do that or not while you already have the, the strategy and my answer would be, most of the times, uh, even if they ask for it, it doesn't mean that they're going to use it. Uh, and even if I have an idea and ask them about it, their answer and their feedback, not necessarily what they are going to do, actually, in that product. And I learned that in the hard way because I've built uh, or managed the teams to build many features and products that nobody loved. Even they said so. They said they, they're going to love it. They said they're going to pay for, for it. But when it comes to the reality, they wouldn't. And that's why Lean Startup is, is great. So going back to my uh, experience after joining that company, uh, I got uh, entrepreneurial disease and I, I decided to start my own startup. Did you call it entrepreneurial disease? <laughs> yeah, because it's, uh, <laughs> it's like you might get it from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, contagious. All these people running around, quitting their jobs, starting businesses, and you want to do it too. Yeah, and uh, especially if you live next to a business park 
uh, or an incubator, you know, viruses go around the area and you get affected and he's like, oh, I want to build my own business. I want to be my own boss. And, um, and uh, yeah, I started a couple of businesses. Uh, one of them was great, the other failed miserably. And, and then joined another company. Actually, I had a couple of ideas and I, want, I pitched them to an investment company and they were like, instead of investing in your ideas, we would like to invest in you and that's the entrepreneur in residence. And this position was very interesting for me because I work as product manager, but my job is to come up with ideas and convince the management that I need the resources to, to build the first iteration. And there, in, in that job, I learned what iteration means, what a minimal viable product means, and how important it is to is to know what question you need to answer in each, in each uh, phase of the product. Uh, first, first, first phase, for example, you go towards, is there a problem I want to solve? And then you go to, uh, is the market ready for the solution? And then how I can scale? Um, so uh, my experience as entrepreneur in residence was great. After that, uh, I started doing consulting with companies and startups. Then I moved to San Francisco, joined big company Rackspace, and uh, and then the product I worked on. Um, one year after my work on it, got acquired from Rackspace, uh, uh, and then it became a startup again. And we were able in the last year to to do 100% growth and and the revenue in less than a year and that was that was great uh, so that's like a brief about uh, uh, my my experience but you ask a question about uh, is there a path for product managers and you it's fascinating that you said usually there is no path uh, well, no straight path. No straight path. It's always, somehow yeah. we end I call it accidental tourism. Yeah. I did all of these things and somehow I ended up in the center called product. Yeah, but you know, it, within all these different paths, I, I think there is one thing in common, which is a lot of try and fail, a lot of... Uh, okay, uh, your friend tells you about an idea and they were like, okay, let's do it. Uh, there's a lot of practice in, in building product. I think, I think that's the common thing between all the paths that takes you to product management. It doesn't matter if you started with a big corporate or with a startup or your own business, but as a product manager, as a great product manager, I think uh, all great product managers have something in common, which is that willing to building and failing fast and try try again until they and, and the, until they build that great product that will take it to the next uh, level yeah, you uh, I'm glad you brought up that point about perseverance if you will because it's interesting right you know you very candidly share I got I got the entrepreneurial disease. I had to go out and start my own thing. I failed miserably. You're telling me this story. Our listeners can't hear this, but I can see you're smiling. You're telling me about your failures. How difficult was it to kind of dust dust off your knees, get back up, and say, "Well, that's a failure," and keep going? You know, did you have to wallow for a little while, or what? How did that go for you? I think it has something to do with my willing to live with uncertainty in my life in general. And um, uh, knowing how to live with uncertainty, not only in the business, but also in the personal life, uh, makes you uh, stronger and makes you uh, know that uh, it's not easy to fall in love and with anything. Uh, especially products, because there's this is a big mistake that some pro, uh, product manager, managers do, and I did uh, in the past, which is falling in love with an idea, which means that you will be certain that this idea will work, 
the way you are thinking about, the way you are designing it, the way you are building it. And that's fundamentally wrong. <laughs> it's great to be passionate, but it's, I, I say passion should be related to, to what I want to achieve, to what I want to change, uh, to the success I want, whatever that is, either money or uh, power or just helping other, uh, helping other people. But uh, that passion should be, or let's say love should be with the, with the mission, with the, what, what I want to do. It's not about exactly how I'm going to do it because that could change and that actually changes in any successful product. It always changes. It's, it's funny that you're bringing this up. I was having this conversation you know, just the other day and saying exactly that. The, the role of the founder is to have perseverance of vision, but, but at the same time be absolutely willing to uh, change what the thing looks like. You know? And I, I like the way that you phrase that. It's about having a real clear idea of what you want to accomplish and not being incredibly married to the specific thing. You see this all the time with entrepreneurs. They go immediately to features. They go immediately to design. And they skip over the viability. You brought up viability. And, and failing is the real narrative that people don't talk about, right? If you just sort of go online and you read all the articles, it just seems as though everybody is, is starting businesses and then immediately selling them for billions of dollars and that no time passes and that nobody fails. But in reality, most of the people who are out there doing it never raise the money, never get the exit, fail miserably, right? This is... I mean, look at the most, uh, most of the successful businesses around us are, are actually, could be the last, uh, result of many experiences and many tries and many products they built and, uh, and, and failed. Many of the games that we play now, many products, uh, uh, I actually, I, I like how you put it in words, actually you put it in a different, uh, in a better words than I do. Uh, being married to that idea um, is it's definitely uh, a challenge that product manager go through, it, uh, and, and it doesn't matter if it's your own, your business or you work for a company. Uh, falling in love is uh, is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> you your most recent project, Airbreak, right? This is you just left the company back in LA, but tell us about your time there. What's the company do? What was your responsibility while you were there? Airbreak is a seven years old SaaS product. When it was built, it was the first of its kind to help developers capture the bugs in their, in their code and know the root cause of that bug so they can go and fix it immediately. Uh, also, Airbreak gives you uh, some data about the bugs and errors in your uh, software and the trends of uh, trend of, of the errors so you can see that oh I have that trend of, of, of errors when it comes to uh, for example the, the, the communication with that server or working on this component and you can focus on it and we eventually what what airbreak does is helping developers figure out what are the 20 percent errors, if they fix it, they would have been fixing 80% of, of the problems that the users face. Because you know that 20, 80, 20%, 80% rule, that also applies to errors and, and, and bugs, because uh, usually what users, uh, the problems the users face, 80% uh, of that could be solved maybe if you solve the, the most popular like 10 bugs. Right. in your code so and what that was what Airbrick does what I uh, uh, I was I was the only person on the let's say business uh, uh, growth product side of, of, of the product 
and uh, that means that I was the hub of all the data collecting and analyzing and looking at what problems we have when it comes to the user's, user's journey with Airbrake. They visit the website, uh, what pages they go to, do they sign up or not? If they sign up, do they complete that? And then the onboarding uh, process, the conversion from uh, sign up to an active user, and then we have the installation in their software. The onboarding uh, process is, uh, was big with Airbrake because it's, it's, a it's a sophisticated software. So we had a lot of slipping away points that I, I needed to figure out and, and find and then conduct uh, an A-B test, conduct a change to see if that will optimize my conversions. You, I'm glad you bring up analytics because it's such a critical part of the product management role, or, or it can be. Um, I imagine when you describe that, like you're sitting around in you know control room with a hundred different monitors and, and looking for all of these cracks and fissures in the customer journey as, as you describe. How does the developer team or the management team respond when you come and say, we have attrition, we're losing people somewhere between the activation process and coming back and using this feature, or they're not sticking around because they're not finding how to move forward. How do you see that? And then how do you communicate that back to the team? Do people even want to hear that? Uh, definitely. Uh, I believe everyone would like to hear where the user is most activated and least activated uh, in the whole journey. Um, so what I used to do is collecting the data. Uh, to, we can talk more about how we, we collect, collect the data. Uh, but after, what I do is um, uh, uh, I collect the data in a document that I share with everyone, but I take what uh, every week what is what what could be an interesting fact about what happened in the last week and I share it with everyone and then I suggest what we can do to to optimize these numbers for example we have uh, 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 less uh, new paid accounts or we have better uh, upgrade rate or uh, worst downgrade rates. We, ha we had a lot of KPIs to follow, but uh, I think that the main challenge with any product manager is to know what KPIs to collect. And I believe that uh, there is no, maybe, there is no one answer to this, but the most important practice is to take one KPI at a time. Uh, because you mentioned all these monitors I might be seeing, like, like you know, in, the, in movies when you see the hackers, hacker needs just a laptop, <laughs> but in movies you see all these monitors and green text and they're going in the screen up. Uh, same for product manager, you just need a laptop and some, sometimes an iPad you just is destroyed the entire version. <laughs> Nobody wants to be a product manager anymore. <laughs> All you need is a laptop. Okay, good. It's accessible. Or iPad. Okay. A, a tablet. Let's just not, not be promoting one kind of tablets. But um, it's all about focusing on one data at a time, one KPI at a time, and and doing something to optimize to improve that KPI. And by saying doing something, I always refer to an A/B test. Because there is no right answer about uh, user experience. Uh, you go to any what you consider successful website and you, and you check it and then you go to Google to check the, the, uh, the last version of that website and you can see something totally different. What happens is that, okay, uh, for example, uh, if I have that sign up page that makes 50% activation, which means 50% uh, of the visitors actually sign up and finishes, finish the sign up process, I would say, okay, what if I do 
some changes on that page to optimize that conversion rate from 50% to 60%. Now what happens, the challenges after you come up with this, this theory is the team. So how, how, you, how, how can I convince the team, especially the developers, that I have a problem and I need to, to solve it? And I found it very, very uh, uh, successful way to convince them is to link the KPI to the revenue. Talk in a money uh, language, which means, hey guys, I have this page that makes 50% conversion rate, which means that uh, the average, for example, the average um, return, of, uh, return from each sign up is say $100. Um, and now we're making from each 100 visitors, we have 50 of them uh, uh, sign up. If we uh, make it 60%, we're going to, uh, to make $1,000 more uh, every month. How about that? <laughs> Is there anybody in the room who says, I don't like it, I just want to make less money? Yeah, but you will never hear that answer. So you just, uh, using the money language, you always break the ice. Uh, you're going from why to do this to how to do it. Because everyone will be convinced when you talk uh, in money language. And then, of course, uh, when it comes to how, that's a different story. I don't know if you want to Well, I want to ask you how much of this analysis and coming up with the new hypothesis to test and coming up with the specific way that you're going to test it happens solely from you? versus in, in bringing the team together. So, you know, you're there with your laptop, not 100 monitors, you're looking at conversion rate, you've got that sort of one metric that matters most approach. And you're thinking to yourself, how can we go from 50% to 60%? Do you then take all of that thinking, develop the hypothesis yourself, sketch out different landing pages yourself, put all of that together and then make a business case for it? Or do you start bringing in the UX team, the product team, maybe others from the marketing team to throw ideas together? Um, there is my way and there is uh, what everyone uh, might face in their company because it depends on the, on the company's culture and the way and the, and the whole the way they they handle this. Some companies know it's your job to find the problem, find the solution, uh, wireframe it, sketch it down, and show us how to do it, and then we we decide if we want to do it or not. Uh, now the culture is going more flat communications uh, in, in in startups and big online businesses. Which, is, which means, okay, it's all about chat, and it's all about real time, it's all flat, you can talk to anyone at any time, and not without wasting much time into writing emails and sketching before, before someone else says, no, you don't wanna, we don't wanna build that. So now what happens is that, is that you find a problem and you share it with everyone. It's like, hey guys, what do you think? If anyone has an idea, share it with me, and you, you start, you know, receiving some ideas and then uh, the product management, uh, the product manager's uh, responsibility is to make an, uh, an advanced research when it comes to this. It's, uh, it's important to see the competitors, it's important to see the best practices, it's important to, to read any uh, articles, researches about this and come up with a, with a plan uh, or an initial plan that also includes the other suggestions from other uh, from, from from the rest of the team members, and then more discussion will be is like let's say a higher uh, level discussion will start with okay uh, this is a nice plan how how can we build it with the least resources because building a feature should be handled the same way we build a new product. Uh, First, how can we prove that this would work before we build it 100% technically? 
because we might spend a month building this new onboarding process, for example, uh, or a new registration process. And instead of your, uh, uh, your email and password and other things, we want to do it no, da no data, for example, required from you and you just go and use the tool and then you sign up later. This is, this is a big initiative. Uh, we need to test if this, gonna, this is going to work. So I always tend to build a landing page or make some changes on that sign up without any technical changes on the back end, just front end changes. Um, with some HTML and CSS and some like Optimizely or Visual Website Optimizer uh, tools, you can build a landing page. You can build, uh, make some changes on the uh, on the on that page and test the reaction from the users uh, for a while. Of course, it depends on 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 the on the amount of traffic that comes to that page, but you see, okay, uh, I test the theory on the front end uh, and then I bring this data to the team again and, and I present my plan with, but this time packed with real data from our users, not only a, re uh, um, a research. Um, uh, and this is how I do it. I always first talk money uh, language, second, do your homework and, and research and uh, see your competitors and other best practices. And the third, uh, try to test it without any technical work from your team. Don't waste their time on something that's not gonna work. Test it first yourself. And there is always a way to test it yourself. You don't need to be a senior Python or PHP developer. With some basic HTML, you might test a uh, big theory easily and then come back to them and ask them how, how we can build all that plan into iterations as well. Did that answer your question? <laughs> it did, it did. I'm so, I, I, well, I think this is such an important thing to break into because we talk a lot about metrics and we talk a lot about, you know, you brought up Lean Startup, Eric Reese says, you know, the most important metrics are the ones that inspire us to take action. And what you're describing here is the practical steps that a product manager can take and should take when they need to take action based on data that they're seeing. Are there, you mentioned Optimizely, what are some of the tools that you've used just in your arsenal that you think are the best for you know, measuring uh, app performance or seeing those places inside the software where people get stuck for making these kind of quick A-B type tests uh, two landing pages, etc. Yep. Uh, many tools, uh, but when it comes to data collecting, um, we used to do. We used to use only Google Analytics, um, and I think Google Analytics is great. Uh, although it might be a little bit complicated when it comes to event handling and sending all the data from the back end to Google Analytics. Uh, so what we've done, we kept the Google Analytics for the basic uh, uh, metrics, but we started using a segmented I.O. as a hub for all the event data from our back end and from the, the website. So what happens is that when any event happens, uh, occurs, we send to segment, uh, and segmented I.O. is not an, an analytical uh, or reporting, it's just a hub for data. And in one click from segment, you connect with uh, some analytics tool like segmented I.O. or Kissmetrics. And this means that using a, seg uh, a tool like segmented I.O. Uh, enabled us to integrate with many other analytics tools without the need to making that configuration with each of them every time we need to. So we send all the data to segment. The data means, for example, a user with that IP address visited the website, visited that page and that page, and then signed up, and then signed in, and then 
whatever events we send from the backend, like uh, made the installation successfully, uh, created the first project, resolved an error, etc. Whatever we we get a full uh, uh, the full picture about the whole journey in real time through Sigmund, and this these data we send to a reporting tool like Sigmund, and in Sigmund so easy create a new report and then select the events I want. For example, visited the pricing page, then signed up, then made a payment. And that, that would be... Uh, the ideal journey. The ideal <laughs> journey, of course. Uh, for example, signed up uh, uh, within the last year and then upgraded. And then upgraded again, for example. So uh, you create whatever uh, reports you need and uh, and I, I explain this in details because I need to, to focus on, on one important thing. It doesn't matter what the tool you, you use, what matters is, is that you have all the data and the events from the whole journey of the user from clicking on that uh, backlink uh, on a website or your uh, ad on Facebook to to literally everything that user has done and on your website, marketing website, and then your application, and making the payment and the upgrading, even referring uh, your website, uh, your tool to, to a friend. And if that friend uh, responds to that invitation, and how many friends respond to that invitation, what importance is to have, uh, to be able to collect all these data, send it to one place, and then connect it to whatever analytics tool. This is what we call pirate metrics. Arr, you've heard this? Of course, right. yeah. Acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, referral. Right, it's a, forget about everything else. If you can't complete that entire bridge for, for one customer or many customers, this is another helpful way of thinking about focusing on the right things in the right order. You don't have to solve the problem of, of retention if you haven't solved the problem of signups. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, that's another challenge for many startups uh, is going to focus on, for example, acquisition and referral before they, they enhance the activation and the retention. Because a product without activation and retention doesn't matter how many, how many user, users you acquire to, They're, you're going to lose them all. Uh, but that's a different story anyway. <laughs> what, uh, talk to me, you, you brought up culture before, right? Culture being up in Silicon Valley. You said Rackspace had great culture. What do you think makes for great company culture? Um, it's like, I believe this culture is how the, uh, how the employees feel when they are working that company. Just like user experience, how the user feels when they interact with, with your business, it doesn't matter if your form is 100 fields or three, what matters is are they motivated enough to complete it. The same with companies, am I motivated every day to go to that company, am I motivated to make, uh, to take it to that extra mile and do something more than only what they ask me for. And with companies that you feel that you're safe, I think feeling the safety in a company is one of the most important things when it comes to culture. Uh, I mentioned Rackspace because one of their cult culture, uh, not rules, but it's like culture, let's say, uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but they, they, they say, treat your uh, colleagues as friends and family. And that's actually what happens in, in a company like that. They, they even, when, when something wrong happens with any of them, they share it with everyone and, he, hey, who can help uh, that colleague uh, uh, in anyhow? Also, like, for example, the CEO, uh, the way he treats uh, everyone else, uh, uh, the, the, the employee of the month gets to, to ride his fancy car for, I don't know, two, two days. Uh, it's like small things, but, uh, and I, I totally believe that it comes from up 
to down from the top management to everyone else. The culture starts and and on the top, the way they treat each other and the way they treat uh, everyone else. And uh, I, it's still hard for me to describe to describe how what culture is. I'm sure there is a bet, better way to describe it, but. Uh, for me, it's how I feel when I go to that company. Do I feel like I'm working with friends and family? Do I feel like uh, am I forced to go there? Am I ju- do I go there just to to get that uh, salary at the end of the month, or uh, do I love working for that company? Um, do you think it's possible as a product manager to love the company and not love the product? I mean. The culture is so great. Friends, family, drove the CEO's car, and then somewhere in your heart think this product isn't creating real value, or is that the ultimate conflict for a product person? It's possible to hate the product, and that also has something to do with the culture in the company because is a culture about having a product and you need to make it successful whatsoever, even if you hate it, or do they force you to work on something you hate it? That's something that has some uh, that has to do with uh, with the culture. Uh, everyone should work on something that uh, they love. And first, second, uh, the culture of lean startup, which means this product. Should uh, this product should prove a theory, a hypothesis, uh, and if this product doesn't, we need either to pivot or just put it on the shelf and go on with something else. Because again, what we need, uh, that we have a mission we need to to, to reach uh, or achieve. Uh, it's not about how we do it. We have plenty of ways to do, to do that product. So it's possible to hate the product, but uh, I would suggest if anyone that hates the product they work on, but they love the company, is to talk, is to talk with, the, with their managers, with the management, and, and, and explain it. It's like, not, not to say anything about it is the, is, is the problem. Uh, working on a, on a product you, you, you hate is not a problem, it's just a challenge. It happens to everyone, but if you, if you don't say anything about it, that's a problem. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> I'm so, it's just, I don't know why it strikes me as so funny. I think another way to think about it, hearing you respond, is, is remembering that sometimes the products that we work on wouldn't necessarily be the products that we would choose or that we need in our own lives. And this is that important piece of the role of a product manager is to always be the lifeline to the customer, to always be remembering, are we creating value for this person? You use Airbrake as the example, right? If I'm not a developer, whether it's a good product or not a good product, or I would do it differently is almost irrelevant. What is relevant is, do I understand who these people are? Do I understand what their day looks like? Do I understand how this product can create value for them? And if you remember that, I think that can give you a path to loving your product's mission, even if the product doesn't necessarily inspire you. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I also think that working on something that you don't love won't bring uh, your innovation and creativity. And this is very important for product managers because product management is all about creativity. Um, now the technical side of product management is fading away with, with all the programming languages and all the advanced uh, re, 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 reusability and working with the great talents and, and the development team. But when it comes to the product management, it's, about, it's all about finding uh, an innovative ideas, uh, things that he can prove that it's going to work and bring value, as you said, to the customers. So working on something you don't like, uh, I, I, 
I don't know, other people might disagree with me, but don't suck it up, say something about it, because uh, life's too short to work on something you don't love. What's it like being part of a great company like Rackspace with a great culture and then seeing the company get acquired? You know, I mean, you, you have to imagine that the founders are going, finally, you know, we've got our exit, we've, we've been realized. What is it like being there? So what got acquired is Airbrake from Rackspace. Ah. So. Same question. Okay. <laughs> you were there for a number of years. I mean, so what is that feeling? I should, it, it, it was so weird. It's like working on a project, on a product within a big company. And then this big company decided to selling this product out to another investment firm. Uh, at first I was shocked, it's like, how can that happen? And then, and then I saw the picture uh, and I understood how this is a better fit for the product. Because uh, uh, that's, that is related to liking and hating the product because this product should fit with the whole company. So well, Airbrake should, should fit with the Rackspace uh, mission and uh, should help the, the big company. Uh, if, it stopped, uh, if it stopped helping that company achieve, achieving their goals, it becomes a challenge more than an obstacle uh, to, to the big company. So, uh, uh, actually, I, I think it was smart to sell Airbrake out. And Airbrake now is doing great and working as a startup, not as a big corporate like it was in Rackspace. Now working as a startup, great growth, uh, more space, uh, to hire more space to innovate uh, and that was win-win situation for everyone uh, so yeah I felt weird at first but uh, I, I got it after do you have advice for somebody listening in that's thinking about getting into this world right I mean you talked about of course finding something that you love but maybe something more practical where do I start building my skills? What is the best thing that I could be doing right now to build a case for hiring me as a product manager? Companies that want to hire product managers, they want them to have an experience in building products. So the thing that happens with these new product managers uh, or students product management is that when they hear the products uh, the company say we need experience the first thing come come to their mind is uh, experience means a job but experience doesn't mean only a job experience means trying to build a product so just if you don't if if you're new to product management don't be a new and start building a product yourself, with your friends or yourself. Um, and the product uh, doesn't necessarily need to have that great uh, sophisticated backend. Just like go to Wix.com and uh, build a website that is offering something and test the market. And, and if you get enough sign-ups, for it or subscription, whatever, or leads, bring someone on board and start building the product. Just like, get yourself into, uh, into building products. Uh, product management is building products. It's not only about how to build products. Uh, so my advice is just get out of the, out of the building. As <laughs> That's Steve Blank's advice. Exactly. I was, I, was, I, was, I, was about to say, I was about to say Steve Blank's advice is to get out of the building, uh, get an idea, whatever that idea is, uh, and go and get feedback from, from targeted customers and uh, get their commitment to use it if you build it. Um, 
and then build a case about what you've done. That's the project. That's the experience. And when you apply for, for, uh, for a job in product management, say, hey, here's what I've done. Uh, I get an idea and uh, I have a theory that this could work, but I verified, I validated that theory by asking the customers and they are willing to pay that much. And one of them actually paid me that much to build a product or I built a product and they got a better uh, uh, testing or something. So build the case and that enough, I think, would be great for you to, to land on a product management job. You, so you mentioned Steve Blank, you mentioned Eric Ries. Are there, in your experience, any kind of must-read books or blogs or podcasts, whether about product specifically or business, that, that you think, if you have not touched this resource, you don't even know this world? Uh, I would say getting real for... Uh, 37 Signals. Yeah, the, the founders of 37 Signals. Uh, that, that, I think, is a must-to-read uh, must book. Um, I'm looking at my uh, uh, Audible library, see what books I've, I've read. So. But uh, getting real is definitely very important, and um, especially for new product managers, because it uh, takes you from the theory to, to more like practice, to understand whatever you've read before, getting real gets you real, <laughs> and uh, tells you exactly, practically what you need to do. Um, I would say when it comes to, if, if you want to start your own business uh, as a product manager, Zero to One um, by Blake Masters, uh, Peter Thiel. It, it's just a great book. Zero One is uh, uh, Peter is uh, one of the founders of PayPal, and Zero to One uh, gives you a great uh, view into what makes great companies great. And Zero to One, it's, uh, it's funny, the, uh, Peter has only one tweet on his Twitter account and when he had this, uh, his book uh, published and this tweet was Zero to One. And he had zero tweet and he, to one tweet. And that was, anyway, this is irrelevant, <laughs> irrelevant but this way you, you, won't, you won't forget the name of the book. Amazing. So, I didn't even know that anecdote. That's great. Uh, uh, it's a great book. Uh, other books, uh, I love The Tipping Point, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. And uh, this is very important uh, because product manager should focus on data. And if you want to focus on data, you need to understand, you need to know two concepts, the tipping point and the slipping way, uh, away point. The tipping point is when or where the users become very active, very, uh, the retention goes up, the upgrade rate goes up, that point, something happens and you need to figure it out. And, uh, uh, for example, uh, how many payments, monthly payment they make until, they, until the retention rate hits the 90%, which means uh, for example, after three payments, they're 90% likely to stay with me for another year. Figuring out the tipping point is very important because this way you will have a goal for any, any user with less than three payments. Your goal always to hit three payments with that uh, user. Uh, the slipping away point is the opposite, where it's like, where it goes down. For example, in the, in the second step of the sign-up process, they slip away, they, they go. So reading tipping points is very, very, very important. Mutid, do you have a soundbite, a personal mantra that, that you use to get you through the day or something that, that uh, stands in for your own kind of philosophy about work or life, something you feel comfortable to share? Can 
can I ask a question in a different word? <laughs> different words in a different way? Yeah. 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 So uh, I always talk about it like if you were world famous and there was a poster on the wall with a quote mm. and then your name was attached to that quote, is there one? Something that you always tell your friends or your colleagues? Yes. Uh, actually, quotes are very important to me because uh, every while and then I have, uh, I have a quote that I religiously uh, follow. And um, uh, the one I had before last year was, uh, uh, what was it? It was uh, the best way, one of the best way to find happiness is the ability to ignore things around you. And uh, I know uh, th this quote may maybe uh, needs some explanation, but uh, long story short, uh, if every if everything around me uh, gets me angry or uh, or uh, uh, or sad or something like that, I I, won't, I will never find happiness. So the more I can ignore these bad feelings, the more I can find happiness. What, uh, this year's quote is education is the ability to listen to almost anything without losing your temper or your self-confidence for Robert Frost one of my favorite poets yeah it, it, it's just great and it, it gives a new definition to education because education is actually yes if, if I can listen to anything if I can whatever I read whatever I listen whoever I listen to without losing my temper, without feeling, oh, he's attacking me, and without starting to compare myself to that person. This is the only way I can learn from that, that person or that book or that uh, uh, podcast. Mateo, thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate all of your wisdom and thank you for sharing with our audience. No problem, thank you. You're listening to 100 p.m., the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.